0: Welcome to Happy Millionaire, a show about how to make profit with a positive impact
1: and stay happy along the way.
0: I'm Jay Radia, entrepreneur and co-founder of three tech companies worth over half a billion dollars and I'm joined by my co-host Rupi Ojola, one of the UK's most recognized health influencers who you may know from his social media handle The Doctor's Kitchen.
1: I'm going to be interviewing Jay this week. You're going to learn all about what inspired him to become an entrepreneur, how a book about abs changed the course of his career, and what Jay did when his startup Yieldify grew too quickly.
0: This episode is a little different from what we normally do, but we want to let you get to know us a bit better. Enjoy.
1: Tell us a bit about why we're doing this podcast and why you asked me to to co-host it with you.
0: Yeah, sure. Look, I think... Um...
1: You know, where we are now obviously podcasts are a great format to communicate
0: and i think what's been really missing is like a place which is really full of fun so it's like with us we've got two like two friends having a good chat and at the same time providing that deepness right i think right now there's a big trend very long podcast a lot of depth but like that fun banner piece is
1: missing yeah no, i i think it's a really good medium and i think you know the first thing that people ask themselves when listening to this is, do I really need to listen to another podcast? And I think your attention is so important. It's your most valuable currency that you have. And so if we're going to drill down as to why people want to listen to this podcast, what are the sort of top things that people are going to gain from from listening to two blokes chat and hopefully you know, have guests on as well? But like, what are they going to get from, from me and you? I guess through
0: the various companies I've built, I feel like I've probably learned a few different methods that have worked and not worked. Like bringing joy to work is probably been the theme or project that I've been most passionate about in the last few years. And I've really delved in, read loads of books, met loads of people. And I feel like there's so many obvious things that can be done, which aren't being done. And I feel like this is a great medium for us to share it and at the same time, you know, as mentioned, like bring on some incredible guests some all my friends and some of your friends and really try to pick
1: out those bits, which hopefully people can really use in their work. From the learnings of your experience now setting up your, is it third company, fourth company? I don't know how many companies you've done. In the, actually, we're going to yeah, drill yeah, down on that yeah, today. Yeah, third third. yeah, Yeah. If you're yeah, counting yeah. all the others, uh, you're probably well into double digits, but looking at the big wins, you know, you've got enough of that like raw experience to know things that you've done right, and things that you could have done better
0: in the past, I feel like each one of my companies is becoming done from a more purposeful way, and like from the ground up, getting the right people, getting the right culture in place, getting the right leaders so I feel like each company is becoming better, which is good it means I'm getting better, but I made a, a shit ton of mistakes, and I think I'm really excited to obviously share those as well,
1: yeah yeah, and tapping into your vulnerable side, man, because you know you're going to be sharing those mistakes pretty honestly, and I think that's going to lead a lot of people to ensure that they don't make the same mistakes, and also like wherever you are, whether you whether you are a business person, whether you are an entrepreneur, whether you are working in a startup or an established company, I think everyone can learn some tips from this. So on this episode, we're gonna we're gonna drill down into a bit about you. Um, people who listen to this might know, or maybe they don't know. I don't know, but you're you're one of the UK's most successful tech entrepreneurs, right? You built. Three companies now worth over a hundred million. You've invested in tens of companies, something like thirty companies, um, but didn't start like that. So, so tell us a bit about your upbringing. What, where did you get that entrepreneurial flair, that streak?
0: I think um, I'd say it's probably like a few things come to mind. Like, obviously, the 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 key part for all of us is our upbringing through our parents. And um, my 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 upbringing was probably slightly unique in that my parents were refugees. That Came from Africa, so um, in 1972, lots of Indians were exiled from Uganda. So they all were, you know, they all had to go to different countries. And my parents both came to London, and that was quite difficult for them because they had, like, you know, they had homes in back at home. They had their own path in career and had their own friends, and like really, that all just got taken away from them. So they came to London and with nothing, and they couldn't even speak English. So. You know, for them, they really had to work hard to really pave their own career. And I feel like through them, like I think the work work ethic came. Like really, like the reason why I probably work so hard is probably down to them. And also, I saw them even hustle. Like my dad was a banker, and he used to even do some side stuff. Like I remember he used to like sell watches on the side just to make a bit more money. And my mom was a nurse. She's like one of the most selfless people. And even she was like trying to make some side money. And like she was selling bags. And I think the other interesting thing was, I don't know why? But like, I actually went to a lot of schools from like the ages from like, three to 30, I think I went to five different schools. And that meant that every yeah, yeah I went to a lot of different schools. Um, I went to loads of state schools, like really ghetto schools to then some private schools, I had a bit of a weird mix. I don't know what my parents were thinking. I think they thought, hey, let's just experiment and throw them in different schools. And that meant that each time I go into like a different school, I had to like, make new friends, I had to really, in a way where I could create my own new personality. And um that just meant that
1: I could probably at the same time, like build relationships with different people. I didn't know that. There's going to be a few things I think on this podcast that yeah, we're, yeah. Cause we, we've known each other for quite yeah, a few yeah. years now. It will like, come out, right? It will come out, yeah, yeah. The first time we met was like five or six years ago through uh, Amit, who we haven't introduced yet. He's our, is our sort of like researcher, podcast producer, uh good as he's affectionately known or good delicious know. uh, the- nicknames. he's got loads of nicknames yeah 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 he'll be popping loads in of but he introduced us and uh i remember your energy was like really high at that point you know your successful company or whatever you were about to go to new york and all these other things but like it's interesting hearing about your childhood because i imagine that sort yeah, of yeah. bravado wasn't naturally there. It's something that you've sort of had to build up over time. So, j- j- just to yeah, double yeah, click on yeah, the yeah. sort of the the, the parent story that I think so many parents have got this like similar story of how they came to the UK with like a stupidly small amount of money in their pocket, like thirty pounds or like fifty four quid. Or something. Like, what? Yeah, yeah. why, why is it?
0: It's <laughs> mental weapon, right? But it's, I think for like being a kid in that, like, it's hard because obviously sometimes you don't have money, but at the same time you see. The journey, right? You're watching a show in front of you of you know, someone, I guess making a making making a living in their own way. So I think it's
1: I think it's pretty cool. And so when when do you th- so you saw your parents like hustling away? Your, your mum selling bags on the side of like being a nurse in the NHS, and you know your your dad selling yeah, watches. Yeah. Not, I don't I don't want to give the impression that they were hustling. I know your mum. mum's so su- such. A, I can't <laughs> imagine, I, I just can't see your mum selling bags. <laughs> they did it for on a few side. years. To be fair. Yeah. yeah yeah
0: I know I know my mum's like. It was a really small part, but I think they did it for a little phase, but I just remember
1: it, it was like, I was like, go mom, high five, go for it. Um, yeah. And your dad, you, you tell me the story about your dad, like getting the um, the paper with the Rich List in uh, stuff when you were a kid and that sort yeah, of yeah. Like, inspired you to tell, t- tell us about that.
0: God, so it's so funny. Like every single year, my dad, one of his like favorite days in the whole year, probably might be his favorite was when the Times would release the the Rich List. So it'd be the Sunday Rich List. And like I remember every single day he would like, or that on that day he would walk to the news agent with a massive grin, like literally ballet dancing to the um the news agent, get the paper, come home, sit in his conservatory for literally two hours, you don't see him. And then at some moment, like he'd whistle for me and go, Hey Jay, quick, quick, come in, come in. And then I'd have to sit with him. Like I'd have to put my computer game down, come sit with him for a little bit, and then go through this rich list. And um, you know, every year this happened, and to be absolutely honest, I wasn't really there, I was just invisible, but I was there. I wasn't really listening to him. But then eventually I remember when I was like 11, I was like, okay, let's actually look at this rich list. And I went through it. And I realized quite quickly when you go through the rich list, like there was a pattern, there was a really simple pattern that most of the people on the rich list were entrepreneurs. And at that moment, that was probably my first seed plant because I realized, okay, to be on the rich list, you've got to be an entrepreneur. And I remember the massive smile my dad would have when reading this rich list that, that made me think, okay, um, if I get on this rich list, he's going to be really, really happy. And at the same time, you know, I'll be, you know, I'll make him happy. At the same time, I guess I'll be in this rich list. So I think that was the first moment. And I, and I knew I had to be an entrepreneur to be on that list. So I feel like that's where the first like seed got planted.
1: This would have been, this would have been like early 90s. I can't imagine there, there were many Desi's on the list at that point. Is that right?
0: Yeah. It was, yeah. It's probably like, yeah, mid 90s. There was a few. There wasn't many. But um, to be honest, I didn't really, I just thought, look, Honestly, it was weird. I just looked at it and it can't be that hard. Like, I don't know why. I just felt this weird when I looked at it. I thought, why not? Let's, yeah. let's let's give it a crack. It became this like weird thing that was like planted at the back of
1: my mind. And There's so many things in that. There's like a mix of you wanting to be successful, but then also the ultimate truth and ultimate root of why you wanted to be successful is making your your parents happy, right? Like putting that smile like your dad yeah, had no, on definitely. his face and, you know, thinking, okay, Put the dots together, become an entrepreneur. Dad clearly looks up to these guys or, or women. Uh, I can imagine like that would have been something that was deep seated in your psychology behind wanting to become an entrepreneur.
0: It's weird when yeah, when you go back, there'll be some weird events that happened in your life, and that was my one. Like I and do you know what, I only realised it probably in my twenties. Like I didn't, I forgot about it. It was just, I don't know. It was I think I think it was in my twenties my dad just showed me the list again. I went god i've seen this list yeah. was so it was like you go in this little matrix bed, you go, and then you go back and you're just like oh wow it's um oh that's what happened <laughs> the matrix oh, yeah that's why that. i'm here so yeah yeah, yeah it's like literally it's like oh yeah wow okay that's where that weird thought of me being an ultra came from so
1: yeah so so w- w- when you're a teenager um like you're, let's say you're 16 17 like did you have any side hustles or uh, before you went to uni or was it like okay i'm gonna go to uni smash out a degree and then figure out what my business venture is going to be? Like, what was the, what was the thought process?
0: Yeah, I did a few little random things. Um, so before like, you know, there was like PlayStation and Nintendo, I used to, I had this little gadget that would allow me to like copy games. That's probably not cool, but oh, yeah, really? a, you know, I mean? a common side hustle for people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I used to like, you know, get games and music. So I had this like system that could basically copy stuff. Um, so that was, um. Something interesting. Also, um, you know, during the time, there used to be like Pogs and Go Go's. I don't know if you remember those, that era. So I used to, I realized there was a lot of value in some of these. So I used to just do a lot of exchanging and I knew which ones were worth a lot. So I did make some good money through that. So.
1: Mate, it's so funny. Uh, thinking about everyone, probably remembers that kid at school that burnt CDs for everyone. Like uh, everyone was into like hip hop at the time. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, yeah, you were one of those basically. And I think back to the guy. Who was burning CDs at my school, and he's become really successful entrepreneur since then. He's in tech as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a thread. There's a thread there. Okay, so so you're doing this little side hustle at at school or whatever, but you go to uni. Why did you go to uni? Like, uh, this is the time, like you know, when people were dropping out and like starting their own companies and stuff. Like, what made you go to uni in the first place?
0: I always saw I saw a few of my older cousins. They basically went to uni and they all got these like you know really great job. So I felt that was the path. And to be honest, I think, you know, at that time, probably like a lot of us, we just get push, push, push. And that was a path I took. Um, I studied economics, which was probably the most random degree because your economics is basically if you don't know what you want to do, you go for economics. So I think that's the one I chose. And then I said, you know, it's basically kicking the can. I'll figure out a bit later what I'll do. Um, so that's basically what I did. Um, and I actually went into finance, as you know, that's my first gig after uni. So, so yeah,
1: that was um pretty boring times but yeah <laughs> no i reckon you probably learned a lot i think like you'll look back at your uni days and probably see what elements were stewing that led you to become the entrepreneur i mean like did you have any hustles when when, when you're at uni or was it not until you actually got like a finance job at uni wasn't
0: really much i um i think the most like a quick way to probably make money at uni was to like sell like nightlife tickets and doing all that. So I did attempt to do it once or twice. And I was like, God, this is, this is not for me. This is just, it's so much effort. <laughs> so and Plus I actually want to enjoy uni. So I didn't, I didn't hustle that much. Like during uni, I was, I, um, I think I just pro made the most at uni, just going out and having fun and avoiding doing any work. So
1: yeah, same with me. You're at uni, you've done uni, you partied a lot. Uh, you, I just added partying in there. <laughs> you go going to fit it. So what was your like, uh, hustle as a finance bro? Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically,
0: so I was working on the trading floors of a few banks, which was like a really intense job, but honestly, I just knew it wasn't right. I just, it just didn't feel right. Me being that I just didn't really enjoy the culture and You know, as mentioned, I came from this weird upbringing that my dad was in business, and my mum was a nurse, and she was really loving. And that loving piece, I just didn't see enough in the finance world for me. So I knew it wasn't right. So then, basically, I yeah, I started doing some side things. And um, I think I mentioned to you my first project was. uh, So I was massively into fitness. I was like a health freak, and I was going to the gym. Like you know, I was one of those little hedge guys and um, had the six pack and all of that. And um, and people used to come up to me and go, "Hey, how did you do that? Like, what what have you? You know, what are you taking essentially?" But I was like, "No, I don't. I actually have a." A little, I have a method. Um, so I was basically one of those like, random folks, who, and I basically wrote an ebook, I wrote a book, sold it online. This was like now in the around 2010, 2012, around that period, and I was selling these ebooks. And they were, honestly, I was making a lot of money. I was selling this ebook, I started to create a website, and, you know, learn how to market it. And next thing I know, I'm like, every time someone downloads it, I'm making like 20, 30 bucks. So that was my first hustle.
1: I, I very random I only found out about this whole fitness book idea the other day and when you told me I was like shocked and I wish we had that reaction on this podcast but but so so you did this yeah, yeah fitness I know that was funny you did you did and I'm not <laughs> laughing because you're like unfit or anything like that you're still fit but like you're not like I don't look at you and be like mate how did you do it yeah, <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> yeah I'm not like yeah. texting you like, anymore, give you your dude. secrets <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: not not to say you're unhealthy, but like you know, uh, so 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 hold up, so ebook right, two thousand nine. Uh, what? How did you even know you could do an ebook? It was weird. I was starting to Google. I
0: realized that there was quite a few fitness books out there, but there wasn't one that was focused on abs. <laughs> so I found a little niche. There was not that <laughs> many. See, you were the abs. abs guy. There was a lot of like getting <laughs> hench and big. I guess I was the abs guy for a little while. So then, yeah, I basically focused on that niche. And then really, I thought, okay, that's one niche. Okay, let's find other niches. And like, that's basically where I started. So that's your that
1: that's your ebook. How, how did you market it? How do you sell it? Like, how do you start? Like, what?
0: yeah, it was like, honestly, I was just learning on the job. So I created the website, my brother even started helping because he's actually way better than me and that sort of stuff. And then, okay, now you've got a website. How do you now get people to view it? So then I learned about Buying Google AdWords at the same time, doing like SEO. So, you're trying to make sure you rank high on the search. So, I basically had to learn all this stuff like while having a full time job. And so, I was working like literally when you work on the trading floor, you're working from seven till seven. And this was like my bit to relax.
1: I just want to like double down that for a second, actually, because you're working seven to seven. That's a crazy amount to work. And yet, you're doing this stuff on the side. So, you must have found like some joy in in what you were doing? Like, how how did you capture that? It couldn't have have just been like the monetary value of what you were getting. There must have been something else in that. I realized when I was in finance, I didn't have this vehicle
0: to like, be like creative. And that was really missing. So I think that's what it was. It was like the first time my mind could just free flow and do really what it wanted to. And that's what led to it. So I was just like, because I could decide what the branding would look like, I could decide how it should be marketed. Like when you're working in like a corporate job, you are very Confined. Yeah. Whereas this one just allowed me to express myself. So I think that's what it was. It was that freedom that I was probably really striving or really wanting to have. And yeah, I got to do it through this random, random bloody six pack. Yeah. One.
1: So yeah. <laughs> that's where it all started. So that's interesting. So have you kept up with it? The, the ad book and. and uh, no, 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 no. no, no, all, that no, no so, yeah, all
0: of the, honestly, that stuff.
1: Once, um, my other business started kicking off, I had to decide where I focus. So what, what made you go from like an ad, because the natural progression in my mind is like, you start an ad book, you start a community, yeah, yeah. you start seeing the supplements, yeah, yeah. you then create a brand out of it. And then all of a sudden you are like the maxi muscle and you started it back in 2010. So like something must've happened along the way that, uh, made you sort of split paths. So what was that? Yeah, I, I think
0: for me it was. It was strange. It's like I enjoyed that subject, but it really didn't excite me. I don't feel. I didn't feel like a full connection to it because, like to me, like my fitness was just one small strand of my life, and I don't know. It just didn't feel like I want to focus the rest of my ten years in this area. So, okay. but what I did enjoy was the creative process of writing a book and selling it online. That's what I did enjoy. So you know that marketing piece. I love that piece and. That's what probably led me to like create other ebooks and um So hold up. So you went into different ebooks. So what was the what were the next ebooks? <laughs> I love the way you know me, so you know where this is going, but it's all good. So the next so so basically after doing a lot of like so there's this thing called Google keyword tool. You can go in there and you can see what words people are typing. Man, people are and, stupid. They know
1: what Google Google keyword tool is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, some people, some people do, some people don't. And then you can see how many times the word's getting searched. And basically, yeah. um, the, one of the hottest trending words was college dating. Uh-huh. Um, so right now, obviously everyone's going to college and everyone wants to learn about dating. They And they didn't, and they thought like, this is a moment when like Google's really, really taking off as well. So Google still like was big then, but everyone realized, okay, you go on the internet, you can start searching for stuff. And what we found, what we found was there wasn't that much content out there on college dating. So at that moment i then started like really searching through the whole internet trying to find these college dating experts with the idea of writing a book together with them and that's what happened so my second book was a college dating book and it's mainly focused to people in the us <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. all right you, i am getting the feeling you don't really want to talk about that anymore so uh, let's <laughs> let's move no, on to okay. so, so you're doing these ebooks you're getting some wins i'm assuming you move out of this ebook sort of industry like how, how does this sort of Converse into Unify because Yodify is like I, I'll let you explain exactly what Yodify is to, to the listeners, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty far removed from writing ebooks on different subject matters, like dating, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, no,
0: definitely. I think um, through the journey of like
1: writing the books, what I learned
0: about was marketing. And that's what I really got fascinated about. I was like, wow, okay, so you've now essentially got a visitor to your website through some form of ad. And now they're on your website. How do you make them convert? Like, how do you convert that visitor to actually buy your product? And for me, that's what really excited me, because it's really the psychology of what is the um, written material? What's the picture? What's the image? Like, is there a specific source that they have to come from so that they're more likely to buy? And like, that whole piece of understanding the human. So it's, I guess, the psychology piece, but at the same time, taking that information to then work out what to show, what's that right message. Like That's what excited me. And that I, and that's what really led to
1: Yieldify. I just want to talk briefly about the inklings of what Yieldify was at the start, right? So you've got this wonderful blue sky thinking vision, yeah, of like how everyone has a personalized experience, but that ain't mvp that's not version one how did you even go about because you you're just you're an ebook seller yeah yeah. you know how to build a website no offense you're not a you know coder or a techie you got a a really good idea how do you actually manifest that into a product that then you can ring up a corporate and say this is great mate you're you gotta you gotta you gotta get this on the site." yeah 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 no, it's
0: definitely like, honestly, I was learning on the job. So what I realized was I needed to build a software. This wasn't a simple website to build a software. And you know, during those times, you either recruit an engineer to join your team to code with you, or you could outsource it to like an agency or use a tech, use like a website like um, at that time it was like Elance, but now it's called Upwork. You can go and then you can find these engineers. And we actually opted because we didn't have as much budget. We thought, Hey, just throw it to an outsourcer, see what happens. And that's what we did. We gave a timeline, we spec'd it out and we said, look, go do it. Um, uh, we interviewed like 10, 20 engineers to like let everyone, everyone's super excited about the idea. So they all pitch to us. And then eventually we chose one person and then, yeah, we just said, Hey, look, this is your budget. Please create the magic. <laughs> and And in the background, we were then creating the like sales decks all the material and and we were like selling before we had a product because at the same time we were
1: weirdly trying to work out do people actually want it when when you give when you give advice to entrepreneurs about that do you do you tell them to do that to to sell the product in to get validation before you've built it
0: yeah 100% i even think now like get to a point where go speak to your customers like even like make mockups in um, you can use tools like figma and you can like design like an app or your website quite quickly and I say like, you know, create that experience, like create a really simple experience and then see if people actually like it. Because, you know, sadly it's really, you know, I know because I've gone through like probably thirteen ideas before you to fight, like most ideas don't work. Like we think they work and we really want them to work and we go ask all of our friends and they go, Yeah, great idea ever. But yeah, just, you know, I feel like you have to just speak to
1: your customers as quickly as possible and, and ask the really shitty hard questions, which, you yeah, know, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an important point because I think I agree. I think it's really important to speak to your customers. I think it's really important to sell the vision to them. Um, But in the current wake of what we're seeing within Silicon Valley, a whole bunch of companies that are are being shown to be fraudulent, there's like a fine line between faking it till you make it Mm, and actually being able to execute on something that you truly believe you have the skill set and capacity to do yeah no definitely it's a tricky dance right you know at
0: the start it's okay to really test out whether the product's working but like once you are serious you sign a contract or you raise money like then it's like serious as official but at the start like you can play the little dance try to figure it out as time goes on you have a network you can speak to to validate the idea but yeah it's like you at the start is this weird like dance where you're just like yeah faking it to make it but once you do like yeah you yeah know, the, the time ticks it starts now so yeah, yeah.
1: on top of that not only do you have to have the confidence to, you know, be able to sell the vision to corporates or whoever your customers might be, you've got to have that self belief that you can actually engineer that for them, whilst also mm. dealing with just getting punched in the face by the market. Like I'm assuming you wouldn't have had like sales straight away, yeah, yeah. or you would have had setbacks. You would have had people telling you that they're saying going to work, and like I don't know what your financial situation was, but were you like self funding this? Did you have to like sell? assets or like, you know, move back in, back home with mom and dad, yeah. like, what was, what was your situation? While I was building
0: Unify, I did actually move back to my parents. So yeah, it was like, you know, I was living in a nice flat and I just said, look, if I'm serious about this, I need to conserve my money. And so like the first versions of Unify was all, most of it was like self-funded, raised small amounts, but it wasn't much. And who do you raise from? Um, it was honestly like family, friends. as family and friends. Like it was a very small amount. But I
1: think that's like tougher. It's, it's really tough to do when you're taking yeah. money from like friends and family who trust you, you know? That like people talk about the friends and family around now, like, oh, uh, you know, friends and family. It wasn't that hard. But like, I think from a founder's point of view, that's really, really important.
0: Like my friends and family, although it wasn't much, I just kept them all in the loop of what I was up to. Like they were curious. I was like this random dude who was just like. Literally quit their job in finance and was hustling. So, like, they were curious, right? I think the whole family just thought I was either an absolute weird person who was just going to be this bum, basically, or might actually make it. Like, it was one of the two, right? And so, yeah, I just kept people up to date. I think one thing is I've just realized I'm, which is a quality of mine, I've always been really open. Therefore, I'm just, I usually just tell people all the hard stuff that's going on. And I think people that probably builds a bit of trust with folks as well. So,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, the transparency element will definitely come come back to as a theme when creating joyful workplaces. So you're self-funding it, living at home. You're lucky in that you've got a co-founder, right? So your brother, we haven't really mentioned Mills that much here. So like, what, what was your brother going through? Did you have like these like deep and meaningful chats? Or were you like pumping each other up? Like... Was, was like one day you were hyper and then he was low or like but, but like what was your relationship
0: yeah no we're both very very different so um so mills is like he loves the like product engineering side he just loves that he loves building he's not a coder but he loves product and understands how it's built and and i love the human side i love interacting with people i love the process of you know getting a product and putting it into the market so like the go-to-market like that's the bit which i love so we've got this really awesome mix we're both very different but yeah we went through loads of ups and downs. Like we've, the good thing is like me and him, like, yeah, we probably have probably an argument. It's not actually that often, like probably once every three, six months, which is worth talking about. The otherwise is just like little nibbles. Cause the good thing is like, we know each other so well and we work so well together. So that bit's the easy piece, but yeah, we've definitely had some really challenging times and tough times. Like I remember there's one period where like I just didn't know if, if I was going to make it. I said to my brother I said look I just don't believe in it and I like I was being a bit of a rebel and I said look I'm just going to hide away and run away cuz like I'm going to like this is so stupid right but so my way to like basically say I'm not excited I said I'm going to create this little blanket fortress in the living room and I'm not interested in your defy. I just want to hide away from it. So literally, I know this sounds so weird and random, but for like two, three days, I just built a blanket fortress. I'm like 26, 27. I'm just like hiding on a sofa. And I said, like, I'm not going to eat. I don't believe in this. And he said, I believe in it. We're going back and forth. The weird thing was, yes, because I, I read like those people could basically survive um, without eating for loads of days. So I thought I'll try that. But weirdly, I would go shower. So that was one thing I did do. So I did shower, but I didn't eat. But anyway, like, yeah, there's, is that, we had these weird moments um, where like, yeah, is it going to work or is it not? But obviously fortunately it did work out so. so hold on
1: so so you built a, a Random, blanket right? fortress i thought you told me the <laughs> yeah, story yeah, yeah. you didn't mention the blanket fortress you were just like yeah i was in the sofa for like a couple of days but you built yeah no no no, no. that's a blanket, a blanket for, I, fortress. I was quite embarrassed to tell
0: you before but now i'm like yeah, yeah, yeah. oh no you're At, just telling yeah, everyone like everyone listen to
1: this so like so the ceo of yeah, yeah, yeah i built just thought <laughs> No, okay. No, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, I think everyone's got their own sort of way of dealing with things and like, whether it's hiding yourself away or like checking into a spa or like, you know, you know there are more destructive things than that, like going on a bender and, and stuff and, and misusing substances. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, building a blanket fortress isn't that bad. It's fine. It's fine. But okay. So you, you, <laughs> you built this fortress and the whole no eating thing, did you hear about that from like Steve Jobs or something? Cause he was quite well known to experiment with different diets and fasting i think also i think it was um
0: i think it was just yeah reading i think i read some random article <laughs> it's like reading. Really, like you know doing you know when you're just like ball, not bored, but just like you go off on a zone on google or something or it was on youtube and somehow found it i thought oh that sounds cool and then the seed got planted and
1: i thought yeah let's test it out because i've done so many business ideas and it's not working why don't i just try that out and at the end of that did you get some clarity in terms of like what the next steps were? Uh,
0: so what happened was I was in my fortress and Mills, my brother came in into my little fortress and saying, JJ, it's going to work. I can tell you. And it's like, cause like there's this big problem we couldn't solve and so like, literally came my fortress, he said, look, come out and show you something. And then he like, it was the most like excited I've seen him in a while. So I actually believed him. Yeah. So he could have been, he could have been pranking me. Right. Yeah. But yeah. he didn't. And then he came out and he's like, look, I solved, I solved a big problem. And I was like, oh wow. Okay. This is quite cool.
1: Yeah. 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 All right, so let's fast forward. You got this product, it's working. You got some corporates. You've got funding. You become one of the fastest growing tech companies in Europe. What was that like? It got to a point like the business just clicked, and people found out about our
0: product. We we started building the relationships with folks, and essentially, like yeah, the product was selling, and it was selling really, really quickly. It got to a point where we couldn't actually deal with the amount of demand. We grew the team to like literally 200 folks. We obviously had some funding in between then as well, which helped us a lot, and that period just happened so so quickly the funding definitely accelerated things from
1: google ventures and softbank and what was that like this is crazy you're like the first company that google invested in you got softbank you've got like a suite of vcs that everybody would want to have on their cap table what what was that yeah, yeah, like
0: yeah. yeah yeah i think we were the second um investment that google <laughs> okay, made in it was like whatever it top was quite three. <laughs> it was it was quite surreal it was it was a bit weird like so we were fun, like we were this company that was growing crazy quick. Like everyone was talking about us. It was an interesting fundraise process. Like we did have a lot of people interested, but then a lot weren't interested. And I, I think that was, that did actually hurt my ego, but I'm not going to lie. Like I thought, Hey, like we've got this amazing business that's growing and basically finding like a venture capitalist to invest is a bit like dating. So you're meeting lots of people and um, you sometimes get surprised like, Hey, like I've got
1: everything. Like, why don't you like, well, like why don't you like me? And then uh, you get, I actually got a lot of rejections. Well, yeah. Let's talk about some of the downs, right? So you have got this crazy journey. You're getting some kickback, straight the is, downs, all right? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's it's good for your ego. Like I think <laughs> I think that's a good point that you made. That like it was good for your ego to have some rejections because I know what you're like with imposter syndrome or whether you know whether you've got sort of like sort of blind belief in yourself or the ability to
0: manifest yeah. that
1: belief in yourself. But any, either way, that, that sounds like you know it was good, it was good for you, but. But let, let's talk about the downs, right? Because everyone always talks about like, oh yeah, we started mm-hmm. this company and we it did really yeah, well yeah. and we had some ups and downs. What were the downs and how did you how did you yeah, navigate yeah. those?
0: Yeah, like once we'd raised the money from Google Ventures and SoftBank, I'm not gonna lie, it was like I was like on cloud nine. Like it was it felt like I was honestly like it was weird, but I felt like I was unstoppable. Like we were on the newspapers, we were getting this great, like, you know, great feedback, everyone wanted to join the company. Um, I even got invited to like 10 Downing Street. I was winning awards. Like literally it was like, all of this happened so, so quickly. Right. Um, there's some random dude who remember built blanket fortresses and like, you know, failed loads of times and now is now like on on like magazines. And I'm just like, what the hell's going on? And what happened was, is that we actually grew too quickly at Yieldify. We scaled super quick, like, and that time to grow that quickly was just either going to be like the most incredible company or there's an issue and there's going to have to be a change, right? And unfortunately, what happened was we just grew too quickly. Basically, when you're doing a startup, you have to do forecasting, right? And what happened was we missed one of our quarters. And when you miss a quarter, that means there's going to be, unfortunately, some change that needs to happen. Either you're going to have to um, readjust the whole model, or you're gonna have to, you know, reduce the people on your team. And unfortunately, like that's what happened to us. It was probably the most humbling experience, like I had to, you know, we're a team of 200 and I had to basically, um, lay off, you know, some, some of my team It was like 25, 30 people. And it was, I still remember it. it was like, still, it still gives me shivers. Like me just talking about it. I can like feel it inside me. Cause I actually, well, I think it was the right thing. I actually decided to, um, have the one-to-one conversation with the folks that I you know, had to leave the company. And I think I had the 25, 30 conversations. I did the majority of them and that was on. I felt like it was the right thing to do to hear it from me because, you know, I'd let the team down and I still remember, so once, you know, once you do a layoff and there's different ways like to do it and it's horrible, but it's like you tell the people and then you've also got then you know, after you've given the the sad news to the folks who aren't with the business, you then have to go to the existing team and let them know. And they're really sad as well because their team members are no longer going to be there. So, you know, at that moment you go tell everyone else so you've had like these really, like tough conversations, and then you then go meet the team. Honestly, obviously, some people are going to get emotional and cry, and like it's, it's hard. They're like you're, you know when you're in a startup, it's like your family. So when I went and told the ex- the team, like I remember at that moment, I was it was honestly like I was the first time I had to do this, and honestly, I I was actually had tears in my eye, but I didn't release it. I didn't. I was scared because at that time, I think I in my mind I thought I was like unstoppable. Still, I was going through this weird moment in my mind. I was like, okay, I'm still this unstoppable person, but actually deep down, I was like really sad if I. If I go back, I probably would have cried for like 10 minutes while giving the speech. When the speech was a couple of minutes. um, But
1: I just held it in. Yeah, that sucks, man. I mean, like you showed not to big you up too much, but like you showed uh, a lot of maturity by wanting to have those conversations yourself. I think like as somebody in their late 20s probably would have shied away from having to tell people bad news like that and just get other people to do it on your behalf. But I think that shows a lot of maturity in that respect. But I guess what I want to know is how you picked yourself up after that, because that would have been a tough thing to to do, to realise, and then also yeah, just yeah. galvanize the team and yeah, keep yeah. that sort of trajectory going and that sort of movement in the right direction because you yeah, still yeah. had a responsibility to them as well as your investors to make yeah. this a success, right?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. It was like, you know, through my I think it's actually probably through all my previous failures I knew I had to get back up right? I didn't have time to, yeah, I had to just focus on what was important. So what happened was when you do get lots of funding, you do get a bit clouded, you start like, because you got more money, you can start making all these different bets and like look at different opportunities. And we just went back to the basics. It's such a simple thing. And it's always what everyone guides you. We went back to the basics and really just focused on a few things. Like before we focused on 10 things, we just focused on three things. And at the same time, we just made sure we had the right people working on the right things. At the same time, just I think what was really important, just being absolutely honest. I think we'd hide a lot of information at times. I think, you know, that's what tends to happen. Like when you're in a startup, like you do, you probably lose a bit of transparency because Hey, you might not even know what's going on. So I think that's the hard thing. A lot of people don't actually know what's going on. Um, so they can't be transparent. I think, you know, whatever we did know, we'll just be open and share it. And it was, I think that really helped and that helped us get back into a stage of growth. Um,
1: yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I want to bookmark those things, right? So what you did to pick yourself up, you reduced your to-do list, ten things, three things, in terms of hierarchy of importance. You consolidated the team around this central idea and you basically, you know, gave them clearer directions. And then also you were transparent and honest in, in your communication. Um so I think those yeah, yeah. three things are really good takeaways for anyone, like regardless yeah, yeah. of their position right there.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think um I think you've summarized it really well. And I think it's just like getting that mask off It's weird. It's like when we're at work, I feel like it's like, it's weird. Like when we're with friends, we're really open and honest about everything. But when we're at work, whether we just think it's a different, it's like a different world. Right. And I realized that, Hey, like these guys are my friends as well. And don't I just be absolutely honest, so I feel, yeah, you just got to get that. It's all connected. It's all one, like whether you're at work or, you know, outside of work. And I think that was something, a big lesson I learned. It's just, you know, it's all one B Just be open, be that human you want and it's a human I wanted to be at work as well.